Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia, including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, Judging Others, recorded on March 31st. 2019 at Revived Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as one of the teaching pastors. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. So let's go ahead and pray for the word. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here today. Apply the truths from your word to our lives. Allow them to be absorbed and readily um, taken in so that we can walk them out. And Lord Jesus, allow me to decrease today and allow your word to be preeminent in this place. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so we are just continuing on in our study of Matthew. Uh, We concluded Matthew 6, and so I asked Sean, well, do you want me to just pick up in Matthew 7? Not knowing what I was getting into. So beginning of 7, 1 through 6 is uh, judgment. So that'll be a fun topic, huh? Get to learn all your secrets. So, no. Just, uh, just be honest with God. We'll just have fun with it today. We'll try not to get too heavy. Sometimes uh, when I preach, I, I have, uh, later on I'll ask my wife, I was like, why was everybody so quiet? She's like, you preach such a heavy message, so I'm going to try to be a little bit more light today, and we'll just have a little bit of fun with the Word of God. So if you'll turn to Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, I'm reading out of the um, English Standard Version today. So, judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Wow, that's a lot of fun scripture there. Facts about judgment and judging. So the first thing that we need to understand is that judgment is reserved for God. God executes judgment and he appoints those to exercise judgment. We see God executing judgment um, on Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, before we think, you know, this is, this is the, the iconic picture of the God of the Old Testament, just, you know, mean and angry and ready to just strike, um, without any kind of warning. But that's not the case. We know that this was the last of 12 chances that Pharaoh was given. He was, and this, this is to show that we, we need to understand that when it comes to judgment, judgment is equal to God's love. God always wants to give us the opportunity. And that's why we're even told in scripture that there will be a final day of judgment so that, you know, God doesn't just show up on the scene and go, okay, today's the day. And you're like, what? I, I, I didn't even know that this was coming. God is always about giving us that, that warning that there will be a final day to come. And we all kind of, you know, even people that don't believe in God, they kind of always joke about that. They kind of always live their life with that kind of in the background. It's like, well, you know, someday, you know, on the, on judgment day, this person's gonna, they're gonna get paid for, for what they're doing. And, and when we look at this world of injustice, 
we all kind of rest and go, okay, thank God there's, that there's going to be a day of reckoning for everybody because we look at the world around us and it seems like evil just prospers unchecked. You look at, you know, especially like all of these crimes that we've had against kids and you see it on the news. Um, there was even last week, there was a lady that tried to abduct a couple of kids from the Coronado Mall. And it's just, it's just crazy all of the weird stuff that's going on. And you're like, is anybody ever going to be held accountable? You know, we look at our justice system and we're like, man, it's just so flawed and the criminals know how to operate it. It's like a revolving door for them. They just go in, they can do anything they want. And it seems like no one's ever holding them accountable. Well, we need to know that God is the one that is reserving judgment and he will do, he will do it out um, in his time and in, in the proper way. So we can also look at David who acknowledges that judgment is from God. In Psalm 51, verse 4, this is right after David has sinned and he's had an affair with Bathsheba. Um, his men are off at battle and David is up on the roof of his house and he looks down and he sees this, this young lady from his roof and he, 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 he calls for her and then he, he, um, he has an affair with her. And after this has all taken place, David is convicted in his heart of his sin. And this is what he says. He says, against you... You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So it is a good thing for us to get on board with that one judgment is, re is reserved for God and that when God does judge us, he will be justified in, in passing that judgment upon us. Another place in scripture where we see um, judgment talked about is Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. He says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I, and I share that because that, that needs to give us pause for a moment because sometimes we think that we've gotten away with something. Have you ever, has anybody ever gotten away with something? Whether it's like, you know, that guy behind you got caught for speeding, you know, you pass the cop and you're like, wow, I was like going way faster than I should have in a 25. And, uh, and, and you're like, and then the guy pulls the guy over behind you and you, you feel like, oh, I got away with that. And sometimes we begin to make that a pattern. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'll just, nobody's, I've, I've gotten away with these little, you know, smudges and nudges on my tax return for the last 10 years. And then you're going to get audited and then you have to bring out all the paperwork. <laughs> and so God is just wanting us to be mindful that there's nothing secret when it comes to God. We may think that we can keep secrets from our loved ones, from our spouses, from our friends, that nobody really knows what's going on, but God really knows what's going on. And there's a, there's an interesting little story. It's, it's, it's called the mask. And the outside of the mask is this grotesque, kind of a, uh, of a, of a monster face. And this one person, she's so beautiful that she, um, and she's going into this area where she, she might be accosted. So she puts on this mask so that it looks disgusting and grotesque so that when she's walking through this, this crowd of these evil people that she'll kind of blend right in because they're kind of evil and they're kind of corrupt. Well, after a while, she, she keeps the mask on for so long and she's just interacting with everybody. And it's, it's about a year or so later that she says, man, I should probably just take the mask off. So she takes the mask off and she looks at herself in the mirror and her face has taken on the very form of the mask. She's no longer beautiful. She's, she's now this ugly, grotesque monster. 
And I say that to say that sometimes we hide behind a mask, thinking that no one will know who we truly are. But after a while, after a season, your habits become patterns and your patterns become lifestyles and your lifestyles become destinies. And then after a while, you you think that you're going to take off the mask and you're going to see that person who you once thought you were. And what you're going to see is that you've actually taken on that very form of the mask that you've been hiding behind. So just know that God sees all things in secret and God loves you, even though those things you may not be proud of, confess those things to God. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more as we get into the message. So we will be judged by God for the fact and the way that we judge others. So going back to our scripture, he says, judge not that you not be judged. So if you don't want to be judged by God, then don't judge others. He says, because if you judge another person right now, you've, you've actually, you've said, okay, now I'm going to be judged by God because I've, I'm choosing to judge others. He says, not only are you going to be judged, but you're going to be judged in the very same way that you dole out judgment upon another. You see, the reason why we're not supposed to judge others is because just like what we said, judgment is reserved for God. And we, when we take on the role of judge, we are usurping God of his role. It would almost be like a person that dress, that's not a cop that dresses up in a cop's uniform and then they go to the auction, you know, and they buy one of those old cop cars that, that, you know, the cops used to drive. I remember I used to drive on the freeway. I'd be on a road trip and, you know, you're always kind of looking for, you know, is, are, are those, are those lights on the top of that, that crown Vic there? What is that? Or you would see, you know, the, you would see the, the car behind you and they have that little spotlight just below the, the driver's side mirror and you're like, oh man, that might be an undercover cop. And then they pass you and it's some old crown Vic that you, and I was like, man, that guy got that at auction. That's, that's not cool. You know, scared me, got my heart rate all going and everything. And uh, there was actually a guy on YouTube who dressed up like a cop. He had his, his little hat on and he had, he had, um, he, he got a couple of little false sirens and some lights and he decided he was going to pull people over, you know, be kind of doing the vigil anti driver. You know, he saw people going a little too fast. He would just, you know, put the, put the fear of God in and, you know, roll it behind him with his lights and pull him over. Well, he did this to this one car and it turned out the car he pulled over was an undercover cop. So that didn't bode well for him. He got arrested for impersonating a cop. And so in the same way, God says, don't usurp my power. This is my role. And when we do, we immediately incur judgment upon ourselves. And also when we try to dole out judgment when we're not equipped, we are going to get greater judgment. Because basically what he says, this little example, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Why are you so critical of these little tiny, you know, imperfections of another person when you're walking around with this huge tree branch in your eye to the point that you're actually blind? You can't even really see. You can't really even discern or scrutinize what's really going on. And yet your your, your spirit is so critical for whatever reason they're motivated to criticize another people. Sometimes it's just that mean spirit. They're kind of a bully. And sometimes people just like to jump on other people's weaknesses because in so doing, they think that it kind of builds them themselves up. It's like, well, I'm able to see, you know, I don't struggle in that area and I probably should point out the struggle that this person is having. So whatever motivations they are, God is saying you're a hypocrite and you're evil if you, if you try to point those things out in other people. There is a way to bring correction and we'll get into that in the godly way of doing that. So he says, 
Um, don't, you know, try to say and be critical of another person when you yourself are probably blind. It would be like us going on a jungle safari with a tour guide that was blind. You know, they would say, okay, now go ahead and reach for that vine, and you're pulling on a poisonous snake. You know, it's like, you know, you want to be able to follow directions from people that can truly guide you. And if we go into a situation where we're judging another person, we're not merciful, guess what? God, in the same way, is going to deny us mercy because that's the very way that we have chosen to judge another person. Now, there are places in Scripture and there are places in life where God does appoint us, appoint people, to exercise judgment. One of the places we saw was in the day of Moses. So after the um, people of Moses, uh, the Jews, they were freed from their um, Egyptian captivity, they're now out there in the wilderness and uh, Moses has a meeting with his father-in-law Jethro. And uh, because up until this point, Moses is pretty much the point man. He's the leader. And every single problem that the Jews have, they go to Moses and, this, and they're like, well, you know, this guy, his tent is supposed to be three feet from my tent, but it's actually two feet and eight inches from my tent. So, you know, he's encroaching on my space. I know there's a lot of us here, but I just needed to bring this to you. You know, it's like Moses doesn't have time to deal with all of these issues. And so Jethro says, you know what? You need to set up a structure of government within your masses. And so at that point in time, uh, Moses appoints judges to basically um, be over some of the smaller quantities of people like tens and fifties and hundreds. So they were people that were respected within the group and they were made judges so that whenever somebody within their community had an issue, they could go to them. They would be able to settle that issue. They would be able to settle those disputes. And it allowed for Moses to be able to kind of lead from a higher kind of an aspect. And he was then the leader of all of these judges within that government that was set up. And so that's one example. Another example that we have is actually where... Um, God set up judges, and if you read in the Old Testament, there was the time of the prophets, and then before the time of the kings, they actually had the rulers of the judges. And these were godly men and women that basically provided leadership as well as justice and uh, kind of being able to settle the disputes for the, for the Jews at that time. A lot of times in Scripture, we get a little bit confused because we're told not to judge, but we're told to be discerning. And that's kind of what I want to get into today as far as the difference between being judgmental and being discerning. Ju being, being judgmental and being a judge is more something of finality, and that is reserved for God. However, God calls us to be discerning. In Philippians 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see, even Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out to minister, he told them how it was that they were to minister. In Matthew 10, verses 11 through 14, he says, And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. I think this is really interesting because this 
gives us a very clear definition of who, who it is that God calls us to minister to. I think as believers, we feel like we, we are responsible to save the entire world, whether they want to hear the gospel or not. And that, that, is not, that is not what God even told his own disciples. He says, you know what? When you go into a new town or village, assess them and, and see if they are receptive and find that one house that's the most receptive when I, uh, I used to work for a company here in town called Hosanna, also called Faith Comes by Hearing, and they are a distributor of the Bible digitally now. They, they, um, they spread it to all over the world. They, um, they set up these little proclaimers that they send to these places in uh, third world countries where they don't even have power. They're solar powered so that you can basically either wind them up or, or set out a little solar thing, and people can actually listen to the word of God. Well, Hosanna also works closely with Bible translators. And as Bible translators go into new little communities where the word of God has not yet been translated into their language, the first thing that they will do when they come into a small village or community is they will look for the person of influence. And that person of influence may be a leader within that town or maybe just a very prominent person. And the reason why they seek out that person is because they know that if they can get in good with that person, that the rest of that village will basically probably follow in line because they already look to that person within that community as a person of influence. And in much the same way, this is what Jesus was telling his disciples to do. He said, go ahead and see if you can find that person of influence within a community. And if they're open, if they're receptive, then make your peace with them. And then guess what? You're, you're going to be that much more effective in your ministry. You see, we're not called to minister to everyone, but to assess the best use of our time and talents. You see, discernment works hand in hand with stewardship. Last uh, Sunday, uh, Mona shared uh, a short little Bible verse about the, uh, the parable of the talents, where uh, one of the persons was given one talent and the other 10 and the other 50. And at the end of that story, the leader came back and he, he took account of all of those talents that he had given to each of these servants. And in the same way, God is saying, I have given each one of you a specific skill. You have a certain amount of time to invest and you have certain resources that you've been entrusted with. And at the end of our life, God is going to hold us accountable within judgment. We're going to be held accountable for how we use the specific talents that God gave to us. And so God is very much about us being very effective in the use of our talents. He, and he's, he's saying, don't just go out there and just, you know, and say, well, you know, I went, I went to a bar and I, I stood in the bar and I tried to, you know, evangelize and they just weren't receptive and I just don't understand why. God is saying, I want you to go someplace where you will be received, where you will, where people will be open and accepting. So another way in which we, um, see discernment, um, working is not necessarily in judgment, but in evaluations. Sometimes we are called, we are called to evaluate the, the qualifications of those that aspire to serve in a godly leadership role. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, um, it begins, it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, and then he goes on to list a long uh, list of qualifications for the overseer. 
And one of the things that we see about these qualifications, that they are all based in God's word. So what we can draw from this is that all judgment is based upon God's word. When it comes to the end of our life, when we are, when we are measured up for the things that we have done in our, in our, in this world and, and throughout our lifetime, God is going to measure it from the very word of God that he has entrusted to us. And one of the interesting things about the people that are being assessed here or judged here is that they have willingly presented themselves to be judged by other people because they're now aspiring to move up into a specific role. And so we have a relationship of agreement between the judge and those being judged. And what's also interesting is usually the person being judged or evaluated, if they fail to meet the qualifications, they will typically have an open heart to try to learn the areas where they can improve so that when the next opportunity comes around, they will have the, the ability to, to meet those qualifications. My wife works as a supervisor um, for the state of New Mexico's welfare office. And a lot of times they'll have positions that come up, like lead positions, and many times they'll have people within their own office that will apply for those jobs. And so they'll have a panel of about maybe five people that interview. And if a person within the office doesn't get that job, a lot of times my wife will sit down with them and go, okay, well, you didn't, you didn't quite, you weren't chosen this time. And here are some things that you can work on. Here are some areas where you can improve. You know, maybe it's communication or maybe it's leadership or maybe it's being more familiar with the policy that they're supposed to be administrating. And so that's one of the things about God. God says that just because you fail one time, doesn't mean that that you're out of the game. If we will submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will continue to teach us. He will continue to train us. And we as believers, that's the that's what we're to be doing in each other's lives. We're to be training one another and mentoring one another. That's what it means to be a disciple. The disciple was simply someone that said, I want to be like Jesus. I'm going to follow in his footsteps. And if we are to make disciples, we're not making disciples of ourselves. I'm not making disciples of John. I'm not making disciples of Danielle. We're making disciples of Jesus. We help one another begin to walk in the steps of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. So I'd like to get into the process of judgment. Now, in a real quick overview, God's final judgment really falls to to only two categories of people, those that are willing and those that are unwilling. Now, the willing that are judged by God, they accept the reality of sin that they have in their lives. And they also accept that the Bible is the standard by which they will be measured and they also accept the work that Christ did on Calvary for them to stand in their place for their sin. And the consequence of their judgment is eternal life. Now, final judgment upon the unwilling is anyone that rejects the reality of sin. You talk to some people and they're like, yeah, there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as right or wrong. It's all relative. And they also will probably reject the Bible as the standard. They may quote the Bible as, you know, well, it's, it's a book of wisdom or, you know, good sayings, but they don't really look at it as a standard by which their, their lives should be measured. And then also they, they don't acknowledge or even see the need or the necessity for anything that Christ did upon their behalf. And unfortunately, but well deserved, the consequence of their judgment is eternal destruction. Now, I, I don't mean to be so kind of trite about saying that, 
Because a person getting to that place, that is not God's will for them. And that shouldn't be our will for anybody that doesn't know Christ. And that's why, once again, as I mentioned earlier, we've been given the end of the story. God says there is final judgment coming. I want you to be aware of that, not only for yourself, that now that you're a believer, now that you're saved, that you'll just kind of sit back and go, okay, great for me, you know, good luck for the rest of the world. God is wanting to use us as his vessels, as his voice, as his arms of love, even as as Callie had shared. By the way, Callie, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing that today. Um, do the things that you can do in whatever capacity the, that you are able to do them. And one little act of kindness, one little act of service will begin to move that ball down the road in the right direction. So um, God's judgment is marked by love. Now, I know that it's not always easy to see that. And especially when we talk about final judgment, it doesn't sound very loving, but... If you've ever seen someone that's been caught in a, um, in a sin, um, most of the time, what is their regret over? Not over the fact that they sinned, but the fact that they were caught. Exactly. So the real contrition and the real genuine, authentic, I'm sorry, is the fact that, you know what? It's finally been revealed what's at the very core of my heart. This is truly where I struggle and I don't want to struggle in this area. Help. God can deal with those kinds of people, but it's the, the other kind of people that are like, oh, this is the edge. Okay. So as long as I keep one foot on this side, I'm okay. Right. Yeah. That's cool. You know, they, they're always kind of wanting to know where that fine line is or even how can I spin this? You know, you know, people have, you know, uh, PR people, uh, public relations people so that they can take a story. Oh, we need to get out in front of this one because this is really bad. So if we can get out in front of this one and report it, then we can spin it. And what's what's really sad is that now we as the public have become so immune and so numb to corruption and uh, all kinds of evil within our leadership that we're just kind of like, oh, well, yeah. Well, you know, they do have some, well, at least, it, you know, at least the economy is going good. At least it doesn't affect my pocketbook. We really, we, we kind of look at the ramifications only if they touch us personally. And that's, that is a sad, self-serving way to live. God, not, God has not called us to live in that way. But I'll also, I'll also have to say that we receive more information on a daily basis than what we physically, mentally, spiritually even know how to process. And so it's very easy for us to get overwhelmed. And that's why God has given us the resolution and the solution of prayer. If you don't know what to do, begin to pray to God. God, what, what should I do about this? What should my response do? Because we don't always feel that we even have the ability to affect change. And when we don't feel like we have the ability, we feel helpless. And then we feel impotent. And we, we, we basically kind of go, well, why should I even bother? And then why should I even bother becomes why should I care? And then that's why we fall into that category of just kind of numbly watching these events just kind of wash over us as though, well, you know, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do about this. Begin to pray and God will reveal what you can do in very specific, practical ways in the world in which you live. So 
God's judgment is marked by love. If it were not marked by love, it would be marked by a God of apathy who would simply allow evil to rule without accountability and we would have chaos. And you might be saying, well, isn't that what we have? Isn't, you know, when we look around the worlds, when we look at the, the fact that there's the reality of human trafficking, the stories that we heard about India where kids are, are kids of four years old are working as bricklayers, you know, where they're eating dirt or they're eating garbage. It's like, how can we in this day and age be living in a world where the, the balance is so lopsided, where some have so much, there's more billionaires today than there's ever been at any other time in the world. You know, people with super yachts that cost $500 million for a boat. <laughs> you know, it's like, that, it kind of blows your mind. It's like, when you think about, you know, I, we're, we're trying to save up for a house right now and we're about $20,000 less than what we can afford with the house that we'd like to get into. I'm like, man, that's probably a fixture in one of these super yachts. That's probably like a couch or, or a, or a bar or a bed or something like that. I was like, you guys just, you know, it's like, I want to do a GoFundMe account and just, you know, just donate your bed and we'll be able to afford that down. You know what I mean? It's like the, the disparity is so big sometimes. So. God justly defines what is and what is not correct and right. And thank you, God, for that, for giving us that measure. Um, when you're in school, how many of you enjoy taking tests? Oh, yeah, of course. There's, there's, a, there's a few weird ones out there like that. Because you wanted to get that final grade. You wanted, If we didn't have tests in school, then we would not be accountable to the knowledge that we were learning. If we were just kind of going through and it... How, how quickly would your brain turn off if on the first day of school you went in and, and the teacher says, okay, guys, there's not going to be any homework. There's not going to be any tests. You'd be like, all right, man, let's see what's YouTube playing today. You just, you would completely check out because there would be no information to which you would be held accountable. But God says, by having final judgment, guess what? You're now accountable for your life, for your actions, for your words, for your decisions. And we don't have to wait until final judgment. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, we can pray this prayer at any time. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is an opportunity for us at any time of the day. If you're struggling with those secret sins, Maybe there's things that maybe, maybe the transformation of the deformation is already beginning to take place behind the mask and you're not even aware of it. It's like the frog in the kettle. You know, you put the frog in the cold water and you heat up that water. The frog's not going to jump out because he's acclimating to the temperature of the water. He'll stay in it until he boils to death. But if you were to take a frog and you have a pot of boiling water, you throw the frog in, he's going to see that it's hot. He's going to jump right out. Some of us, so slowly, sin subtly seeps in so slowly that we are not even aware of the subtle little changes that take place. I know when I used to work at UPS, 
And, and it was kind of funny because I was going to Bible college at the time. I worked at UPS at night. Well, at UPS, you know, it's a bunch of truckers and everybody's cussing and swearing. And every once in a while, it's like something would fly out of my mouth. And I was like, wow, where did that come from? It's because you're around that kind of, when, you, when you're around that pattern, you know, maybe the military or the, the you know, blue collar kind of jobs. It's just, it's just gonna, maybe white collar kind of jobs. I don't know. People, people aren't always real polite or professional these days. But sometimes we're just around that so much that we begin to pick those things up and it's just a part of the lifestyle that that we've grown to live and so God is saying maybe it's time to shine the light on that and if if we do that if we will give him that access he will begin to transform us from within all right so God warns us of our impending judgment and he desires that none would perish in second Peter 3 9 we read the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. And that's kind of what we are wondering. It's like, God, why are you allowing the corruption and the evil to thrive? And God says, no, 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 no. That's not me being slow. That is me being loving. He's saying, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. When we judge another, it must be with God's love. Now, um, the judge's heart, if we're to judge another person, our heart should be for the benefit and the, bene- and the betterment of those that we are judging. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this, Brothers, if any of, anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is kind of like a person that's like, say like you've got a brother, he struggles with drinking, and it's like maybe the best place to go to talk to him about that wouldn't be the bar. It's like, you know, over the seventh beer, you're like, you know, um, I, I think you have a drinking problem. And the brother's like, I think you have a drinking problem. I think we need to call you an Uber because you are in no condition to drive. And so it's like God is saying the person that is providing the correction is not above the person they are correcting. They are just as vulnerable. They are just as susceptible. And so we need to watch ourselves do it in a place where where we can provide good covering and where everyone can be safe. The process of correction only works when there is harmony between both the person judging and the person being judged. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, we read, If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And Matthew 18 goes on to talk about if your brother refuses you, then there's a whole process that you're to take, a godly process to deal with conflict and sin within the church. And so the thing that I really want to highlight from this verse here is that um, we are to, to go to them in, in a way that is, is private. We're not to, to be out there, you know, um, making public someone's issues or someone's sins. We're, we're to do it in a, in a private way so that we, we can maintain that, that sense of, um, intimacy within the relationship. Now, as I conclude today, we've talked about judgment. And as judgment really applies to the body of Christ today, it really can be uh, used with the word correction. And I want to uh, share how to correct effectively. Now, the first thing that we need to do 
is we need to avoid fruitless endeavors. We, know, we need to know who our audience is. In the last verse of our scripture in Matthew 7 today, Matthew 7, 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. You see, what can sometimes happen when you try to feed a stray dog or a wild dog or a feral dog, you try to give it food, sometimes, you know, it'll take the food because it's probably very hungry. But when you, if you were to try to reach out and pet it, it's going to turn on you and snarl and growl because its nature is this wild, un, untamed animal. It's not a domestic animal. And that's, that's why God is saying, know your audience who it is that you're going to approach. Just don't go out there randomly just, you know, throwing the resources that, that, that he's entrusted to you. This kind of goes along with what Jesus was telling his disciples. Be discerning about where it is that you minister. Um, and we are not to correct those that are not open to receiving it. So if, if you're taking notes today, I want to give you five steps to godly correction. The first step is we need to check our own heart. Are we in a place where we can even be correcting another person. Are we right with God? Are our motivations evil? Or is our goal for the other person restoration and growth? And if it's not either of those, then we have no business offering correction to, to, to another person. The second thing is we need to be discerning. Is that person even receptive? If they're not, then don't go any further. If you've checked mark number one and you've checked mark number two, then you can go to number three and prayerfully proceed with humility and gentleness. This is so important because we, we so quickly think that we know the other person's situation and we will just go in with our passion and we're just like, I'm going to just tell them how it is. I'm going to, and I know exactly what they need to do as guys. We're the fixers. We, we want to go in there and just make everything all right. We don't necessarily know their background. We don't know where, what has brought them to this specific place. And so we need to prayerfully and gently proceed. We need to understand that if we're going to go in and offer correction, this is going to be a place of vulnerability for this person. It's potentially going to be a place of embarrassment too. And we, we don't need to embarrass. We don't, what we're doing is we're going in to offer a rescuing hand. We're there to offer assistance and help. And in the same way that they're weak and they're vulnerable, we are called to guard them in that place. It's almost like, you know, we're in a battle and when someone calls for a medic in battle, they, they, they try to, they try to keep the, the, the open wounds free from dirt and debris. They're, they're not just dragging them by the foot out of the, you know, out of the battle. They're, they're putting them on a stretcher. They're trying to be as gentle as they can, as they can. If you know of anybody that's had any kind of a head injury, you don't just immediately pick them up because you don't know if they've injured their neck or something. You want to keep them in a very still, kind of a position. That's exactly the, the, the kind of care that we need to be um, offering when someone is receiving correction. And so it is a very kind of a, it is a very sensitive thing that we do. It's not just an academic thing. It's not a scholastic thing. We go in there knowing that this is an amazing opportunity for God to move. If someone gives you access to, to their heart when they are hurting, or when they are open and they're, they're willing to be transparent with you, 
I think that is, that is the, the, the closest thing that we will ever get to being able to truly minister like the heart of Christ. Because we, we have access. And so don't take it for granted when you've been given that access, go in with gentleness and humility. Number four, offer correction only. And, and I say that because don't sit there and provide a recipe or directions or strategic steps. Offer different options to them. Because once again, you don't have the ability to make them do anything. All you have the, the ability to do is offer them some different options that maybe they're not aware of. And what's great is if the, the, the control is completely in their, in their court. And if they decide to take you up on an option, then you've now formed a partnership. And that's even better because, once again, the process of correction is all about maintaining the relationship that God has blessed us with, with one another. And number five is very key. Correction is only for the believer. It's only for those that believe in Christ because it's upon that same shared foundation that we grow from. We will never correct an unbeliever unto salvation. And I think that's why a lot of people in the world that don't know Christ are very leery when they go and they talk to a Christian because they think that that Christian wants to sit them down like it's school and say, okay, well, here's what you're doing wrong and here's what you need to do to improve. They don't have an ability to change because they serve a different king. They serve a different master. They are under they're in slavery to that power. And until the Holy Spirit moves in their lives and brings them freedom, they won't have an ability to change. All we can do is the same thing that Christ did for us, which was to love us for who we are and where we are. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and this is a scripture we'll end with. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It is, it is being in a place that is horrible that you will finally own up to and go, man, this is, this is not where I want to be. And sometimes it takes us a long time before we will even acknowledge that the path that we're on is not one that we want to be. And sometimes even when we acknowledge it, we're not even able to stop, um, to stop that path. I, I watch uh, the Justice Network a lot, and uh, last night uh, they have a show on called Drugs, Inc., and it was about this kid that was, um, that was basically, he was a meth addict, and he, for 20 months, he basically, he bought meth, and then he sold meth in order to sustain his, his, himself and in order to, to sustain his habit. And he says, one of the worst decisions that I have to make is, do I sell the meth or do I use the meth? And the guy acknowledged that this wasn't where he wanted to be. He said, I used to work in an office, and then I went to a party, and I got hooked on this. He goes, I was hooked on this in a weekend. And from that time, everything changed. And his only goal in life was to, was to be able to buy enough meth so that he could then sub, sub-sell the meth and continue to buy it and sell it. I'm like, does this guy even go to the grocery store? They say that if you take just a little bit of meth, you can be awake for four days straight. Because of the intensity, I don't, I don't know a lot about the drugs, but it's just like, I, 
I barely can make it through an entire day without getting my eight hours of sleep, and I feel like I'm a zombie. I feel like I'm a different person. I can't even imagine what it would be like walking around for four days in, in, in such a condition. And so even people that acknowledge the fact that maybe they're not on the path that they want to be don't always have the ability to get off of that path. And those are the ones that we're to be mindful of. Those are the ones that we need to be praying for because maybe some of you sitting here today have, have your own testimony that, you know what? Yep. God took me from a place that I didn't want to be. And now I'm here serving God. And if you have that testimony, then anybody can have that same testimony. Their lives can be restored. Their lives can be changed. There can be true growth in their lives. So in conclusion today, we reserve judgment for God. Amen. If we're, um, God has, has asked us to be discerning before we correct someone else. And the final thing that we need to do is we need to pray for the unsaved. If we could have the worship team come up, we're going to sing one more song and have my uh, ministry folks come up. Um, if you do need prayer today, um, our prayer folks are going to be up over here. And uh, we had an awesome time of prayer last week when our, um, when our missions team came back. These guys are trained for prayer now, so <laughs> they saw some pretty amazing stuff when they were in India. And the same faith that was in operation in India can be in operation here today. We, a lot of us don't have as great of a need because we have our checkbooks and because we have Amazon and because we have a grocery store right over there. We, we don't, we're not that desperate for God. But maybe it's time for you to be desperate for God in areas of change that you have not yet seen in your own life. And if that's where you are today, find somebody within the, within the body that can pray with you today to take a hold of that rescue for you. So, Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we've had to share your word. I pray, Father God, that as we leave here today, that you would just continue to move in our lives, that you would continue to show us the areas where we need to be open to receive that correction, that you would be free to come in and test us, to try us, to, to see if there'd be any wicked way within us, and that you would lead us in that, um, that, that correct way of righteousness, Father God. And Lord, we also do lift up those people that are unsaved within our lives. Uh, maybe there's a, a person that you're bringing to the minds of those sitting here today. May we not just overlook them. May we not just uh, pass them by thinking that, well, someone will, someone will reach out to them. Maybe we're that person that you have called to reach out to them. Maybe it's just something as simple as, as giving them a bottle of water. Maybe it's something as simple as just asking them how they are doing and actually waiting around and allowing them the opportunity to finish the conversation. So Lord Jesus, allow our hearts to be penetrated today by your love. Lord God, we ask that you would scrape away of callousness within our hearts because I know that it's so easy to become numb within the world that we live in, within all the information that just blasts um, over our minds. And so, Lord God, may we be a little bit more vulnerable before you today so that we might be touched and so that we might touch others, Father God, and minister to them. And Lord God, we just give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com. To see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content, 
please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.